Well, the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be uh, in verse 12. But if you keep a hand or a finger in Matthew chapter 18, uh, we're going to be dipping in and out of that uh, chapter quite a bit as well. So uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12 is where we find uh, the petition tonight, but keep a finger in the Bible reading we had in Matthew 18 also. On the screen there is a number, and it's a large number, and it's 1.56 trillion pounds. And at the time of uh, writing the, the sermon, that was the national debt of the UK. That's what our nation owes all sorts of other countries uh, and financial institutions all over the world. And that works out at about £30,000 per person living in the UK. So in theory, all of us uh, have that debt on us as well. Imagine, though, for a second that that debt, which is the national debt of the UK, was placed upon you. That all of a sudden you went to check your bank account tomorrow morning and it was in the negative of one56 trillion pounds. The richest person in the world, which at this particular time is Bill Gates, he would be declared bankrupt because it would take him, uh, it's 30 times more than what he actually owns himself. 30 times more than what the richest man in the world currently owns. So he would be bankrupt if his bank account had this debt. But this is the kind of debt which in Matthew chapter 18, the unmerciful servant has. We'll see that it is a ridiculous amount of money. And as we come into uh, the petition in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we're also going to see that we have that kind of a huge debt that we need cancelling ourselves. As we've looked into the Lord's Prayer, we've seen that it's split into two distinct sections. The first three petitions look at our Father as Lord. We look at, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's our Lord, he's our master, and those petitions uh, talk to our Father as the master, we want his kingdom to come, his will to be done. And these, but the second section of the Lord's Prayer talks to our Father as Saviour, the one who provides for our needs. And last week we looked at the need, give us this day our daily bread. We are dependent on God for our physical needs. And this week we look at the petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And as we think of the prayer to forgive our debts, we see that as well as being needed for our physical needs, God is the one who provides and the only one who can provide for the greatest of our spiritual needs, which is forgiveness of sin. That is the greatest need of humankind, forgiveness of sin. And only God, the Father, can provide forgiveness of sin. I don't know if you're at church this evening sitting comfortably. If you are, it won't take long into this where you won't be. 
This is an uncomfortable message. This is an uncomfortable petition because it highlights, first of all, the extent of our sin. And if you think about the extent of our sin, which we will do, you will not be sitting comfortably. But this petition also is perhaps the hardest of all of the ones in the Lord's Prayer to pray because it's a condition or forgiveness here. We have asked for forgiveness of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I don't know how many of you think it's easy to forgive others. I don't think anybody does. I don't think it's an easy thing. And as we see what God had to do to forgive our sin, we see that neither is forgiveness a cheap thing. But in the midst of the uncomfortableness, we see the glorious hope of the gospel. For we see that through Jesus, that great debt is paid. There is debt relief of an extraordinary kind. And with that in our minds, we have a greater perspective with which to forgive our debtors. And when we forgive our debtors, we'll see that we have peace with God and with others that is far greater than holding on to and living in the bitterness that can fester and make us miserable when we do not forgive other people. And we're going to see three words or three phrases that this petition speaks of. First word is forgiveness. God cancels our debts. Secondly, we're going to see confession. Christians need to still confess sin. And thirdly, forgiving others, which is the Christian's response to their forgiveness. So first of all, forgiveness. God cancels our debts. It's in, it, we need to answer first of all, though, why does God use the word debts? Why, why are we not just uh, saying sin? Or uh, in many versions of the Lord's Prayer, there's trespasses. Why is it here debts? Well, there are many words to describe sin. Sometimes we think of sin as just being a bit naughty, and it doesn't matter very much. But actually, sin is very serious. It matters very much indeed. It's a violation of the holiness of God. And to show the seriousness of sin, the Bible gives us lots of words that describe it. Sin is one of those words. Sin means to miss the mark. So God has a standard of perfection that we are to aim for and we miss it when we sin. That's the word used in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God or have missed the mark. There's the word transgression which talks of, of not obeying the law. There is the word trespass which means to overstep the mark or the boundary which has been set. Debt is another word. There are others too, I'm not going to do a whole word study on this, but debt is another word to describe sin, and it describes it as something that puts us into debt to God. We are in debt to God. And the possible reason it's in Mark's gospel, uh, sorry, uh, Matthew's gospel, rather than Luke's gospel, is because debt was probably the most common term 
that the Jewish audience would use when describing sin. And in the light of Matthew chapter 18, with the parable of the unmerciful servant, Jesus uses it there as well. We are in debt to God when we violate his holiness. Every time we violate the holiness of God, we deserve judgment because God is absolutely holy and cannot tolerate sin. He's so perfect, he's absolutely perfect, that whenever we sin, we deserve judgment for that. And the Bible tells us that a record is kept of our debt and it has to be paid. At the end of Revelation, in chapter 21 and verse 12, we read of the books being opened. And it's you can see the picture there. The books are opened and the record is there of our debts. If you go to the the bank and you've got a loan, you can ask for a statement and it will give you the statement of your loan. Or if you go and you're in your overdraft and you think, how on earth have I managed this? You can get a, a statement that tells you exactly what you've done and how you've got there. We have a record of our debts. So... When we violate God's holiness, we deserve judgment and a record is kept so that when we are judged, it's recorded as to why. And the debt is huge. We cannot pay it ourselves. Let me explain this and then I'll I'll try and illustrate it. Our debt is, is huge because God, who is the creator of all things, his word is law. And God's law proceeds from his perfect holiness. And so we must obey it perfectly. We must obey God's law perfectly. But the problem is, we don't obey, and the extent of our disobedience is always greater than we think. This is why this is uncomfortable. Because we never think we're as bad as really we are. We commit sins of commission, Sins of commission are sins that we actively do, things we do wrong. But it's not just things we we do wrong, they're all the things that we have said wrong. And in addition to everything that we have said wrong, there are all the things that we have thought wrong. You may may think, well, I don't do anything wrong or say anything wrong, but but we think, think things wrong, don't we? Sometimes sins of commission are on purpose. Most of the time, perhaps, they're on purpose. But sometimes we do things wrong, we say things wrong, we think things wrong, and we don't even know that we've done that. But it's still a debt, it's still a sin. Sometimes we do things, perhaps we even say things, perhaps even think things by accident, but it's still a sin. And there are times that we don't even know about this, and when people point it out, we deny it, don't we? Because we don't want to admit it. But the, but the sin is huge. When you think of how many things we've done, how many things we've said, how many things we've thought, how many th- things we don't even know that we have done. But that's just the sins of commission. There's sins of omission, things that we should have done but didn't do. Things that we should have said but didn't say. Things that we should have thought but they never entered our head. Some of those sins we know about. Some of those sins of omission we don't even know about. And worst of all is that God is not some horrible despot that we are in some kind of noble resistance against. 
God is the loving creator of the world who has given us all good things. And yet we have willfully, purposefully disobeyed his good word. And we do this every single day of our lives. And every single sin we commit, whether of omission or commission, deeds, words, thoughts, they're all a violation of God's law. And they are all recorded. And the record gets bigger and bigger all the time. This is what Jesus means by debts in the Lord's Prayer and in the parable of the unmerciful servant. Every sin we commit puts us into debt with God because we owe him perfection. Another, an, an illustration of the extent of our problem is, can be thought this way. If I am in debt to the bank or maybe to you of £100, If I was to miss one payment of £100, I could pay you back the next day or the next month double, £200, and that would be the debt cleared. But if we owe God perfection, how do you pay that back when you've missed it? Because you can't be doubly perfect. So you will never pay that back. And that shows the folly of trying to earn our salvation. You can't pay back God perfection because you can't double it. You could only be, and this isn't even possible, but you could only be perfect again. You'd always be falling short of that original perfection that you should have had. You see the folly of people think that, well, if I do this many good deeds, I'll make up for this many bad deeds. This many good deeds wouldn't make up for one thought that violated God's holiness. But the thing is, we we don't just miss one payment. We do this every day, all the time. And so the debt is huge. All those zeros that were there at the beginning is nothing in comparison to the sin debt that we owe God. Look at Matthew chapter 18 of the parable of the unmerciful servant. Let me read uh, verses 23 and 24 again. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Well, let's stop there a moment. 10,000 bags of gold. Some versions use the word uh, talents, 10,000 talents. It's such a ridiculous amount of money. I get the impression that Jesus... It's almost a, he's almost telling a joke that people would have laughed. This money, amount of money is such a, a ridiculous amount of money. You can't owe that much money. No one would, would lend you that much money. It's, it's, it's ridiculous amount of money. But he is in debt to the king of 10,000 bags of gold. One talent, one, one talent was 20 years wages. One talent. So if you do the math, if you times that by 10,000, that's 200,000 years wages in debt. I don't know how much each of you earns, but times it by 200,000 and imagine you're in debt by that much. That's the debt he has here. 
And I say it's ridiculous because no bank would let, no, you know, if you want to get a mortgage, it's what, four, four and a half times your income? Not 200,000 times. And he must have spent it all because look at verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, he, he couldn't pay it because he had obviously spent it. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The man couldn't pay, so he lost everything. And he got what he deserved. And he was sold into slavery to work the debt off. It's like getting a prison sentence. When someone goes to prison, we say they are paying their debt to society. He's in prison to pay the debt. And brothers and sisters, this is hell. We go there forever because we can never pay in full the debt that we owe to God. Our sin is so serious, the debt is so huge, that hell is the judgment we deserve because we can never pay the debt. But look at what happens in verse 26 and 27. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. In verse 26, we see the servant being really foolish. He was being Foolish in thinking he could pay back everything. I can pay it back. Well, when you look at the extent of the debt in the first place, you know that it's a ridiculous thing to say. You cannot pay that debt. But people say this all the time. I'll pay God back by doing this, this, and this. You can never pay God back. And the thing is, God never asks to be paid back We don't need to pay him back. We need his mercy. And the wonderful news is he's a merciful God. And in verse 27, it says, the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let it go. And it's wonderful news, isn't it? Because we have seen that our debt is huge, but the wonderful news of the gospel is that God forgives our debts. God cancels our debts. And the petition begins, forgive us our debts. And God's answer, yes, How does God forgive us? Does he pretend that they don't exist? No, he does not pretend. They have to be paid. But he pays it himself. The Father sends the Son, and the Son pays our debt. He goes, uh, he suffers hell for us on the cross, and at the end he cried, it is finished, it is paid in full. All of our sin, all of our deeds, all of our words, all of our thoughts of sin, of omission, sins of commission, things we've done that we know about, things we don't know about, things by accident, things in the past, things in the present, things in the future, it is all paid in full by Jesus. Look at these wonderful words uh, from Colossians that Paul writes. He forgave us our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. 
When a criminal uh, was crucified, their crimes were nailed to the cross. What they had done was nailed there so they would know what they were paying for. And Paul's using that to say when Jesus died, our sin debt was nailed to the cross. And he cancels the debt. He takes pity on us. And he lets us go free. Jesus paid for it. When the books are opened, there is no debt on my account because Jesus has paid for it. When those books are opened and my name is there, it is no debt. It is paid in full. And that's the same for all of us who have on our knees, pleaded with God, forgive me my debt. Isn't it wonderful news? We can praise God. It's true uh, with what the hymn says, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my oh my soul. It is well with my soul. It's wonderful news, isn't it, brothers and sisters, that our sin is paid in full. So the first part of this prayer is an expression of faith. I believe that God has forgiven us of our debts. I believe that God has cleansed me of all my sin. I believe that it's nailed to the cross and I praise your name, oh my God, that it's forgiven. As we pray forgive us our debts, we first of all thank God that he has taken pity on me and has cancelled my debt. And I don't think I need, uh, we described the extent of our sin at the beginning, but we know, don't we, you know that you are a sinner in deserving judgment, and we can together praise God that he has forgiven it through Jesus. Now this morning we looked at the, uh, a man that couldn't believe in the extraordinary kindness of the king. But it's true. God is extraordinarily kind through Jesus. And brothers and sisters, let's thank God that he is. But the Lord's Prayer is is for disciples. It's for those already forgiven. So why is the plea there that God forgive us our debts? Are we praying for God to forgive us our sin again because we might lose our salvation? Or is it because uh, if we don't do it, then um, it it, it isn't really paid in full until we've prayed it again and again? No, that's not why Jesus prays this. When he forgives us of our sin, it's forgiven in the past, the present, and the future. All of it is paid in full. So why do we pray this? We pray this because we still need our feet washing. And that comes from John chapter 13. John chapter 13, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. You can turn there uh, if you want uh, to John 13. In this passage, we see that this prayer talks also of confession of sin. And in John 13, Jesus is uh, with his disciples at the Last Supper And the feet of the disciples are being washed. And Jesus comes to Peter. And in verse 8 of chapter 13, listen to Peter. 
No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. Jesus is uh, the, the king who, is, who becomes the servant to, to wash the feet of his disciples. And here he's explaining to Peter something which in the culture was very understandable, but perhaps for us we miss somewhat. In these times, people would have a bath, just uh, like we do, and they would uh, wash their whole body. But as they would walk around, they would wear sandals, and so their feet would get dirty. And so their feet would still need to be regularly washed, whereas their whole body, unless they were crawling around, uh, was clean. And Jesus is using this to show how Christians still need to confess their sins to God, but it's for washing of feet, not to cleanse our whole bodies. Uh, uh, The same writer who wrote the Gospel of John also wrote the letter, uh, or three letters, 1, 2, and 3 John. And in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 and 9, he writes this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So Christians are forgiven of their sin, but if we uh, say to ourselves, well, I'm, I'm perfect now, I never do anything wrong, John says we deceive ourselves. We need to confess our sin, and God does forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. But it's to wash our feet as we walk around in the dirt of the world. It's not to, to, to save us again from the penalty of sin. Jesus teaches that we need to confess sin. And Christians should be confessing sin to God, not in order to become Christians again, but because we recognize that we still struggle with sin. And our relationship with God can be damaged by that. It's not destroyed, but it is damaged. And to help us understand this, uh, we need to understand that there are two kinds of forgiveness in scriptures. First of all is judicial forgiveness. Forgiveness of a judge, which is what we talked about earlier on. We're not going to be going to be judged eternally for our sins. Christ was judged for us. But secondly, there is parental forgiveness. The forgiveness that goes on within the family to restore relationship. Let me illustrate with um, uh, using a family with children. If you are parents and you have children, those children are legally your children. No amount of sin can cause the children not to be your children. The only way they cannot be your children is if you legally uh, give them up and disown them. But that's your choice. The sin, uh, my, my, our children can, can sin and sin and sin, but they're always our children. 
They don't need to be forgiven in order to remain legally ours. But, what if our children and us as parents sin but never apologize? And, and we never forgive each other for what we do wrong? Well, legally, we'd be parents and children, but what's the home going to be like? Some of you might say mine. But what's it going to be like? It's going to be horrible. It'd be awful, wouldn't it? It'd be, the, the relationships would be damaged. They'd be strained. And in, in the home, this is two ways, isn't it? The par- I, I, I need to confess my sin against my children as much as my children need to confess their sin uh, against me. That's the type of forgiveness that Christians need. It's a restoration of fellowship with our Father and of peace with our Father, not the adoption into the family. And the difference with uh, our relationship to God against the family I described in the home is that one, God will never disown us under any circumstances, and two, God is never the one to do wrong. It's always our fault. Uh, King David uh, explains this well in, in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 comes after the sin of 2 Samuel chapter 11. We haven't reached 2 Samuel chapter 11 in the mornings yet, but we don't need to, uh, to, to reach that to realize that, that this sin is the sin of a Christian, or obviously before Christ, but of a believer. We have seen that David is God's anointed king. This isn't an unbeliever praying in Psalm 51. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, Daniel, uh, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He has her husband murdered. He commits gross sin. And the prayer of forgiveness is found in Psalm 51. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but just a couple of uh, verses. Listen to what David prays here. Notice how he is not praying for salvation, but for restoration. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, David's sin causes a distance from God. He does not want to be out of God's presence, and, and, and Christians are never permanently cast out of God's presence, but there is a distance when we sin and we don't confess our sin and we don't repent of our sin. There, there is a distance between us and God. Just like in a home where there's an argument and a fallout, there is distance and strain. Notice that David is praying for the restoration of the joy of his salvation. When we are not confessing sin to God and turning from it, we do not have the joy of salvation. Christians who are living in sin and are not confessing sin and are disobeying God are most miserable. Sin is miserable. Christians are not happy when they are living in sin. They are told beforehand that they are going to be happy, but it never works out that way. It's miserable until we come back to God and confess our sin and repent and say, forgive me uh, my debt. Christians should not be miserable. We should be most joyful, for we have so much to be joyful about. Our debt has been paid. But brothers and sisters, when we do not confess our sins to God and repent, there is misery. 
So David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He was miserable when he wasn't dealing with his sin. He needed uh, Nathan to come, the prophet, to, to rebuke him and to, to draw him back. But he was miserable when he wasn't uh, repenting of his sin. And notice that David also prays for God's help to obey him in the future. He asks uh, that he would, uh, God would grant him a willing spirit to sustain him. And when we come to God and we confess our sin, it needs to be with repentant hearts that have a desire to change. We don't come to God and use forgive us our debts as an excuse to wipe the slate so we can fill it again. We come to God with a repentant heart that desires to change and live for his glory. The right response to forgiveness is seen in Luke chapter 7, with a woman that had been forgiven much. In Luke chapter 7, verses 41 to 47, Jesus is eating food with a in a Pharisee's house, and a sinful woman comes to the home. And she, the Bible describes how when she came in, she... Uh, wiped his feet with her tears. She poured uh, expensive perfume over his head. She was on her knees before him, kissing him. And the Pharisee couldn't believe what this sinful woman was doing. How can she, how can Jesus allow such a sinful woman to do this to him? But listen to what Jesus said in verse 41 of Luke chapter 7. This was an extraordinary act of devotion. And he said, Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. She was extraordinarily devoted to Jesus because she had been extraordinarily forgiven by Jesus and she recognized it. And when we come to God and confess sin, we need to have repentant hearts. We need to be ready to obey. And sometimes that means making restitution uh, for those we have sinned against. Sometimes it means doing things that are really hard. Sometimes it means confessing things to other people that you are ashamed about. But we must have hearts that are willing to do what God wants us to do if we are truly repentant. In verse 47 of Luke 7, that same chapter, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And what he does not mean there is, some of you have been forgiven little, so you don't need to show me much devotion. He's saying, no, we've all been forgiven a lot. All of our debts are huge. So we do not use forgiveness as a license to sin again. God knows the heart. God knows uh, the heart and forgives the genuinely repentant. The heart that seeks forgiveness because it recognizes the debt and in having it forgiven wants to show devotion to God. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. God doesn't listen to the... uh, 
the, the prayers of forgiveness to those who have no desire to repent. And it's a gross, um, just a, a, a horrible thing to do, to expect God to forgive our sins in order that we sin again. It's ridiculous. As we have considered the extent of our sin, shouldn't our response be to be devoted to God like this sinful woman? And this devotion to God is shown through our treatment of others. And the second part of the Lord's petition is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the way that we show our forgiveness of God. But time has completely disappeared. So actually, we're gonna, we'll look at this uh, next part, actually next week. I don't want to rush uh, forgiving of others. Uh, I think we'll actually go, we'll do this bit uh, next week uh, for there's much in forgiving others that we need, I think, to consider. But for tonight, I think it's right that we just uh, have a time where we consider, rather than what other people have done to us, just consider our own debts to God. Our debt is huge. Our sins are many. And Christ has forgiven us of all of them. We have much to praise God for, but brothers and sisters, don't we also have much to confess? Isn't there much that we still struggle with now? And I'm going to have a time now of just uh, of, of quiet, just for a minute before our final uh, couple of songs. Um, as we confess our sin to God, let's remember that we must do this with repentant hearts. Let's not just lightly uh, list off sins to God and then forget about it and go on and carry on sinning. Let's, let's be serious. Let's think, how do, uh, uh, what's God calling me to, to do in terms of repentance? And then we're going to sing uh, a, song, uh, hymn, uh, a song of confession, creating me a clean heart, O God, uh, speaking David's prayer from Psalm 51. And then the last uh, song, Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God. So let's bow our heads and in silence and quiet, let's, let's uh, come before God in prayer. Our Father, we confess our sins to you and we say, forgive us our debts. Father, we have talked of the extent of sin, but we can never talk the extent of our sin in such a way that we even know the extent of our sin fully. And it's bad enough, Heavenly Father, when we think about what we do know But you paid not just for what we do know, but you paid for what we don't even know as well. Our sins have been nailed to the cross. But we thank you, Father, that we do not have to bear those sins, that Christ bore them for us. And Father, I pray that those here tonight that are struggling perhaps to know whether they are forgiven would know that at the cross there is full atonement. 
Perhaps there are people here that are, are struggling with whether you really can forgive what they have done. Thank you, Father, that you do, that there is no, is no sin too great that you cannot forgive. Father, perhaps there are people here that have never really prayed for forgiveness before. Would you convict their hearts of sin tonight that they would do so? And Father, I pray that we would respond to what we have heard, not flippantly or lightly, for our forgiveness is not light or cheap, but with lives of utter devotion to our King Jesus, who has paid for our sin. Father, would you break our hearts, that we would realize how much you have done for us, And that we would live for your glory and from our hearts say your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Well, let's close.